0: Pretty straightforward. People said, "You know what? It doesn't matter how long uh, we want justice." Howdy! You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends, born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zelkowski. I'm Sean McAver, and I'm Scott Elstrom. It was the coldest of cases, but 56 years after the brutal murder of a popular South Texas teacher and former beauty queen. Justice was finally served. Today, it's a special cold case edition of Come and Take It, The Murder of Irene Garza. But first, what's your favorite extinct Deep Ellum hangout? Um, you know, I'm not
1: going to... It's not really a hangout, but whenever I'm down there, uh, I find myself really, really missing the old uh, art mural that was along the, uh, the Good Latimer down there. Um, that was a real real piece of uh, real piece of the world down there. And I'm sad it's not there anymore. Yeah, that's sad that yeah. it's gone.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, there was a cool place called the Jet Club and probably like ninety seven, ninety eight that had a swing night. It was down there and it was only open for a couple of months, but it was right at the height of the swing swingers mania. It was a pretty cool place. Um, the other one is uh, the Galaxy Club was actually pretty cool for music uh, when the skinheads weren't there, uh, but that was only about, you know, a third of the time uh, for whatever reason, like their bouncers and their booker of music, uh, they kept getting neo-Nazis to run the place. So uh, I think we only went there a couple of times uh, to see different bands, although we did see a riot break out there one night as we were walking back from trees. Uh, the cops had a skinhead on the ground and they pulled their guns and this the kids in the place clubs are pouring out that was fun that was back when when deep ellum was dangerous
0: it was
2: yeah <laughs> Go, going to deep ellum was 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 a was it was an interesting experience
0: well yeah it's kind of like that uh that new movie that's out right now the uh or coming off the adventure land or whatever it is where it's about the world's most dangerous theme park yeah <laughs> that's what it was like it was dangerous but exciting yeah. Well, I think that I shall never see another rock club as beautiful as trees. Now Sean's going to tell you that it's not dead, but uh it's kind of dead to me. And I think that's what's important about this question. Also, it was the only one I could kind of work into like a uh a famous poem. <laughs> uh yeah. what, what was the club that was uh the Blind Lemon and it was something
2: else and it was where uh uh Weiner always played. Uh
0: oh, uh Clearview. Club Clearview, Clearview, Club Clearview that had I think multiple Club, clubs.
2: Clearview is closed. It is closed. Right oh, now. I
0: did like that place. That was yeah. there were some. but so many fun memories of all these old clubs and things uh, that used to be yeah. the Deep Elm experience of the '90s. But you know, you can go back and listen to the history of Deep Elm. Uh, we did an episode long time ago. Irene Garza was many things: a natural beauty who had been crowned Miss All South Texas Sweetheart in one thousand, nine hundred and fifty-eight, a former prom and homecoming queen at Pan American College an accomplished teacher who worked with McAllen's most disadvantaged children, a devout Catholic who was active in the Legion of Mary, the first person in her family to attend college and graduate school. Irene was born in 1934 to Nichols and Josefina Garza. The Garza family owned and operated a dry cleaning business in McAllen, Texas. McAllen, for those who don't know, is the largest city in Hidalgo County. It's a border crossing into Mexico and lies just 70 miles west of the Gulf of Mexico. Most Texans will know this agricultural region very well as the Valley. The
2: Garza's business was booming, and the family moved from the south side of McAllen to the more affluent north side of the city. There she attended McAllen High School. While it was mostly a white school, in fact, she became the first Hispanic to become a twirler and head drum majorette. In 1958, she was crowned Miss All-South Texas Sweetheart and was elected homecoming queen at Pan American College, which is the regional college located just north of McAllen in Edinburgh, and I believe now it's uh, UT Pan American.
1: After graduating college, Garza worked in McAllen as a second-grade teacher, working on the south side of town with some of the poorest children in the district. At the school, she was elected secretary of the PTA. Garza said, This may not sound like much, but to me it means a great deal. It means I'm overcoming my terrible shyness and becoming surer of myself. She was a good teacher and very proud of the children in her class.
0: Irene's cousin, Lydia Davina, said Irene was the first to go to college and had this wonderful career. She said, quote, oftentimes she would use part of her salary to buy them school supplies, to buy them things that they needed. Uh, Another family member, a cousin who was just nine years old that Easter weekend in 1960, she still remembers the last time she talked to Irene. Quote, one of the things that she talked about was that she had Easter baskets for us. And my brother and I were excited jumping up and down because we knew that she would not have forgotten us.
2: In Garza's own words, she spoke of her dedication to her faith. Remember the last time we talked, I told you I was afraid of death, she wrote. Well, I think I'm cured. You see, I've been going to communion and mass daily, and you can't imagine the courage and faith and happiness this has given me.
1: Garza lived with her parents, and on Saturday, April 16, 1960, she told them she was going to confession at Sacred Heart Church in McAllen. Garza was often conspicuous in the congregation because of her striking appearance, and several parishioners remembered seeing her at church that
0: night. However, none of these parishioners recall ever seeing her leave. When Garza's parents did not hear from her that evening, they first thought that maybe she had stayed at the church for midnight mass. When Garza did not return home by 3 a.m., Her parents went to the McAllen Police Department and reported their daughter missing.
2: The next morning, her car was found just down the road from the church. Nervously, the family waited with no reports, news, or discoveries for the next 48 hours. On the third day, Garza's shoe, scuffed and missing a heel tap, was found on the side of a road. A short distance nearby her purse and a piece of her veil were also discovered. The Sheriff's Department and volunteers began a massive search for the young teacher fanning out on horseback across the vast South Texas Plain.
1: On the Thursday following Easter, five days after her disappearance, the McAllen Police Department received a call at 7.40 a.m. reporting that a woman's body was floating in the 2nd Street Canal across from the Sears. She was still clothed in her church attire. She was missing her shoes and her underwear with her blouse unbuttoned. The young teacher had taken a brutal beating. The autopsy determined that she had been hit with a blunt object and then suffocated. Additionally, the autopsy indicated she had been raped while unconscious and was in a comatose state before being killed. Wild rumors circulated through the valley as to the identity of her killer.
0: While publicly there was open speculation, a much more taboo suspect was being whispered about. When the canal was drained after a body was removed, investigators found a green slide viewer with a long black cord. The owner, Garza's priest with whom she'd had confession that fateful night. This was the very last person to see her alive, 27-year-old priest, Father John Fate. In the meantime, detectives also discovered that
2: a priest who closely fit Fate's description had attacked a young woman named Maria America Guerra inside a church in nearby Edinburgh two weeks before Irene's disappearance. Fate did not deny being at the church that day. He also did not deny driving the same car that the attacker was spotted in. Fate claimed he had already left Edinburgh at least an hour before the attack. Fate also failed a polygraph test administered by authorities. Detectives stated that he was implicated in both crimes in some way and had not
1: been telling the truth in his denial of killing Irene Garza. So what happened next? Fate initially denied hearing Garza's confession in the rectory, but he later admitted to having done so. He accounted for his absence from the sanctuary by explaining that he had broken his glasses, and he often played with his glasses nervously as he listened to confession. Fate said that he had driven back to the pastoral house to get another pair, and when he arrived he had no key, so he had to climb into the house on the second floor. He said that he sustained the scratches on his hands as he was climbing the outside of the brick
0: structure. In the summer of 1960, Fate would face trial on a quote, assault with intent to rape charge. When the officers went to take Fate into custody, they learned from the Catholic Church that he had fled the state. Of course, he blamed this on a nervous breakdown due to the stress of all of the news and reports. During the trial, the jury ended up deadlocked at 9 to 3, and a mistrial was declared. Rather than endure a second trial, he pleaded no contest to a lesser misdemeanor assault and paid the $500 fine in 1962. Of course, papers and media at the time were very critical of Father Fate's seemingly divine intervention from prosecution. While never directly stating it, you can find many letters to the editor from these classic newspapers of people who are who openly state it. Oh, and by the way, Father Fate was never charged in the murder of Irene Garza.
2: Post-trial, Fate was sent to Assumption Abbey, which is a Trappist monastery in Missouri. An abbot there told monk Dale Tackany, that fate had killed someone and he asked Taciny to counsel fate for a few months and to determine whether fate had the disposition to become a monk Taciny says that fate confessed to hurting a young lady and murdering another one but that it was not Taciny's job to judge fate at that time so fate's confession went unreported to authorities for many years
1: Fate did not feel comfortable with the monastic lifestyle at Assumption Abbey. He was sent to Jemez Springs, New Mexico, to a treatment retreat for troubled priests run by the servants of the paraclete. Fate joined the order as a staff member and worked his way into a supervisory role. Father James Porter came to the center after he was known to have begun molesting children in the 1960s, and Fate cleared him for placement in another parish. Porter was later defrocked and imprisoned after abusing as many as 100 children. Fate left the priesthood in the 1970s. He got married, moved to the Phoenix area, and had three children. He worked at the Society of St. Vincent de Paul as a food charity volunteer for 17 years.
0: So very little happened from this point until we enter the new millennium. Now in 2002, thinking that the Garza murder had taken place in San Antonio because Fate had trained there... Tackany contacted authorities in the city and said that he could no longer keep the secret of Fate's confession. The investigation into Garza's death was reopened that year. Texas Ranger investigator Rudy Yaramillo contacted Father Joseph O'Brien, a priest who had worked with Fate, at the time of the Garza murder. O'Brien told a television program in 2000 that he did not know anything about Garza's death, though later he would admit that Fate had confessed shortly after the murder.
2: Rene Guerra served as district attorney in Hidalgo County from the 1980s until 2014. Guerra elected not to bring the case before a grand jury until 2004. Tacony, O'Brien, and Fate did not receive subpoenas in the case, and a grand jury declined to indict Fate. Father O'Brien passed away in 2005. Guerra was reluctant to revisit the case, saying that, an early, saying that the early police investigation had been shoddy, that O'Brien was suffering from a dementia when he was questioned, and that there was no physical evidence. He claimed that an in, he claimed that an in, he claimed that an investigator had inappropriately fed Tacony the location of the murder, after the monk mistakenly said it occurred in San Antonio. Guerra angered Garza's family by asking why would anybody why would anyone be haunted by her death? She died. Her killer got away.
1: In 2014, District Court Judge Ricardo Rodriguez campaigned to unseat Guerra as District Attorney and the Garza case arose as a campaign issue. Rodriguez said he wanted justice for the Garza family. He said that he would take a new look at Garza's case if he were elected. Rodriguez won the election. In April, Rodriguez announced that the Garza case was open again. Without mentioning any suspects or elaborating on new evidence, he said that several employees in his office were working
0: on the case. In February 2016, Fate was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona, He was 83 at the time of his arrest and used a walker when he appeared in court. Fate was extradited to Texas in March 2016 and incarcerated at the Hidalgo County Sheriff's Office. He entered a plea of not guilty. The prosecution had requested a three-quarter of a million dollar bond, while the defense asked for a much smaller $100,000 bond, adding that he had stage 3 kidney and bladder cancer. The judge, Louis Singletary, set the bond at $1 million dollars. Status hearings in the case were held in June and November 2016, and the discovery
2: process was ongoing as of November. In February 2017, a judge set a late April 2017 trial date, and Fate remained under medical supervision at Hidalgo County Jail. In April, Fate's defense filed for a change of venue because they believed their client would not receive a fair and impartial trial in Hidalgo County. They filed a 700-page document with evidence showing that reporters allegedly condemned Fate as a murderer and that the only reason he avoided prosecution for years was because the Catholic Church protected him. Sometime in March, Tackney testified against Fate in closed deposition. This is permitted under Texas law, given the witness's age and extensive knowledge of the
1: case. On May 24th of 2017, Judge Singletary heard arguments from the plaintiff and the defense on the request for the change of venue. He denied the request for a change of venue after considering that the defendant failed to prove there was prejudice against him in the community. On July 19th, fate appeared in court for a prehearing. The trial was expected to take place in September, but the day before, on September 10th, the court decided to push the trial back because of scheduling conflicts. One of fate's attorneys was defending other high-profile <clears throat> One of Fate's attorneys was defending another high-profile murder suspect in Hidalgo County. Fate appeared in court on September 11th for the first time without a prison uniform, expecting to face trial that week. The initial phase of jury selection was done in mid-September, and the trial was delayed until mid-October. Fate's defense filed for a motion for continuance, and the trial date was moved back again, this time
0: to the end of November. On December 7th, just a week after the trial began... Fate was convicted of Garza's murder. In the punishment phase of the trial, Fate's attorney asked that Fate be given probation, citing his lack of felony convictions since Garza's death. The prosecution, of course, asked for a sentence of 57 years, symbolic of the time that had passed since Irene Garza's death. On December 8th, the jury came back with the verdict. Life in prison. And that's where he is today, in prison. So I brought this story up because we had a listener who'd contacted me about doing some true crime stories. He'd asked about a couple of cases in particular. And as I was doing research, I stumbled across this story of Irene Garza. And it was really interesting to me because she was this very uh, young, beautiful, smart, you know, seemed like a really wonderful person who was just cut down for no good reason. And it was very obvious at the time, uh, and thanks to our... Good friends at newspapers dot com you can go back and read a lot of these interesting headlines and, and pieces from the time and in all the local papers, it all talks about this guy's the suspect he's got him arrested he you know there's all the the lie detector stuff that's going on his evidence he's the last person to see her alive and it's pretty obvious that everybody had a pretty good suspicion he was guilty, but he was never charged and in fact he was you know that fact that that was a hung jury and then he was sort of turned loose and then he ran kind of ran away and hid for all these years and why is an old cold case so interesting well it revolves around the politics of of the valley the fact that there was this festering wound of a you know justice that was not was not carried out and it was enough to change um you know, the position of district attorney to have somebody who was going to be pursuant to really find justice for her so many years after her death. And uh, the fact that that we got there, that they got the bad guy in the very end, I think is worth looking at this story. It's maybe not as grand as the idea of, like, you know, the Rangers engaging in, you know, running battle with, you know, natives on the plains of Texas or of the brave soldiers of the Alamo. But this was a Texan who was hurt by someone she trusted and their community really let her down and let her family down and it took half a century to finally get to the point where truly there could be some closure and justice in the case. So there's been a lot of like you know uh, I think in uh, there's been a couple of like news shows that have done deep dives on this you can find a lot of information Texas Monthly did a lot of pictures of it and it changed you know it really changed uh, it shows just where we've kind of changed in terms of how we approach justice and some of these things in Texas, too.
2: Well, and it and it does tie in with the very important American, and really, now it's rapidly becoming a worldwide news story, it's, is the, you know, the priests, the Catholic Church, and the abusive priests, you know, I mean, it's directly tied to that, because it's it's the same type of activity. The fact that you have a Center for Troubled Priests that is sheltering uh, – that is sheltering priests who have confessed to murder and assault and molesting children is, you know, very disturbing.
0: So it's it's a very you – know, that's a very disturbing story in general, and this ties directly to that. Well, it's not a story that's make makes you comfortable. I mean this is one no. that you are just like, wow, this is – I did not realize this happened in Texas. And you go, oh, the, you know, obviously – obviously but no not obviously like and the fact that he was the counselor and the person who who turned loose somebody who hurt so many children is just it's it's not like one wound that happens it's he hurt lots of people and he was not a good person and uh you know and then if you go and look up like he he i didn't include it in here um just because it's awful he literally pulled his hearing aids out when like they were reading his sentencing and stuff. He was, he was surly and mean and said awful things that I don't even feel like repeating on here. But the fact is he's a, he's, he's a bad dude. And, uh, for what little life he has left, he will be in prison in Texas. And there, you know, and it's just, it's a thing of like, this is just a a travesty of justice that took a long time to close the book.
1: Yep. no,
0: but uh, it, it is an interesting um,
1: piece of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the darker side of uh, life in Texas. I don't know, did you, were the, like the Texas Rangers, were they instrumental at all? And
0: Yeah, so the Rangers got involved and it was this, uh, there was a Texas Ranger who really kind of took the lead and, and tied together some of these threads from O'Brien and some of these other people. And, and, and they were definitely involved in it. But again, in Texas justice, because the murder occurred in Hidalgo County, it had to be Hidalgo County prosecuted. And there had to be, you had to have a district attorney that was willing to go after this guy. And it had been set so long. And like I said, the existing attorney was like, you know, hey, this is a lot of resources for a cold case. And you know some of the story doesn't add up, and this guy's got dementia, and people are gone, and you know who's it for us to solve? But uh, you know, pretty straightforward. People said, you know what? It doesn't matter how long, you know, uh, we want justice, and so that's that's what uh, that's what happened. So well, that, well yep.
2: certainly certainly saying I don't understand why people are outraged that their daughter was murdered this is a way to not get reelected to district attorney it's
0: not a yep. it's not the best political statement you could make when you're running for election yeah and I mean there's there's some other
1: true crime stories that I've thought about doing in the past and and maybe we'll get around to those eventually but um, yeah it, it's not always a, a definitely not a, a pleasant road to go down it's a part
0: of history we haven't really mined as much yet probably but that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on Facebook follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast or go over to brainstable.com and leave some feedback you can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com and why not follow us individually too I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java I'm Max Sean with two N's And I'm Scotticus. If you love the show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.